Live from the studios here in Omaha, Nebraska. It's time for another edition of the Other Kind Radio Talk Radio. Welcome to episode 58. Today is July 21st, 2019. The Other Kind Radio is a weekly podcast that keeps you, the kind listener, in the know when it comes to pop culture. At least that's what we're shooting for. My name is Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. If you're a returning kind listener, welcome back. Your support is appreciated. And uh, we love that you... Uh, Give us some time inside your ears. Okay, that sounded weird. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome, welcome, welcome. We want you to enjoy the show. Congratulations on navigating the uh, maze that is podcasts these days. There are a ton of them out there. In fact, uh, one of them I just started listening to, Ricky Gervais has his own podcast now. It has two episodes out. It's pretty good. All right, as always, we encourage all of our listeners to like, subscribe the show. By doing so, you are feeding the algorithm that keeps the podcast universe spinning and our show in its gravitational pull. On today's show, we're going to go over the top three movies. We're going to talk about the top three Billboard songs. We have some headlines. Todd's take on is going to be the Emmy nominations that were just released last week. I'm going to talk about a new show that I watched on Netflix called Blown Away. Fresh back from vacation. Let's uh, let's see if my mouse will work. This would be exciting. There we go. <laughs> Fresh back from vacation. Let's uh, let's bring on the better half of the show. He is a family generator, movie maker, guitar player, drum major, book author, dive bar boombox member, and all around Renaissance man. Live from his studio somewhere near, but not in or located specifically around the town of Dallas. Let's welcome Todd. What up? See how relaxed I am after vacation? Hi, kids. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I'm you. I'm telling you, I've got this. I've got some new equipment that I'm still playing with here in the studio, and it's amazing how it works fantastically well until it's time to record, and then it all goes to shit. I'm For sorry. those of us that it have worked in sh- the production business, we know how that's ha- that, right. I, we know that's how it goes. So don't worry about it, Jeff. Hey, and you know, is that cup of coffee you were just drinking and I'm stretching a bit more so you can actually swallow it? Was it good? Yeah, that, well, ah, that's funny you bring that up. So uh, how dedicated are you to the coffee that's in your household? Pretty dedicated. Yeah, so am I. So we had an unauthorized, <laughs> an unauthorized, oh, it was on sale. Uh, yeah. 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 So we yeah. had to, we had to have uh, the, we had I, to have the coffee talk. I just said, you know, I understand that. I will, I will pay extra. I will, I will finance the coffee <laughs> in the household. But please, don't change brands. You know, that's that's where I've been with my significant other longer. That occurred a long time ago for us, and now she understands. Don't yeah. mess with what I got. I, I'm kind of excited because while we were away, we we had to do the 20-year-old house kitchen upgrade. Things yes. quit working. Oven door would not even shut. So we, we said, let's take care of it. We'll paint the cabinets, yada, yada. We walk in, and the one thing I'm so excited about is I use Keurig just so I can yeah. get like a really strong brewed cup of coffee. Right. 
I got a new one. And <gasps> it offers all, you can do espresso shots with it now. And I was like, Whoa. Oh. So my first morning with my new coffee pot. So you have a bad coffee morning. I'm actually having a pretty good one. That's pretty fancy. Espresso, yeah, huh? I, uh, uh, hang on. Can I go tell the string quartet downstairs to keep it down? Just it's not, it's, it's not the Nespresso though, right? Is it's no. still Keurig. Okay. Yeah. I, did I say Nespresso? No, 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 no. I was just wondering because, you know, the only place I've ever seen that marketed was with George Clooney and other famous actors. They must have paid them. I mean, what, yeah. I mean, what do you think? George? Or maybe he gets a lifetime supply. Who knows? One million dollars. That's a that's a George Clooney going in and saying, "Yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll pitch your coffee." Sure. Yeah, that sounds. But you fun. know what? My daughter drinks coffee as well, and so I actually consulted her. I said, "What do you think of an espresso?" Now she also thinks that George Clooney, you know, being a teenage girl, she thinks he's pretty cute for yeah. an older man. Right. I told her that's not a reason to buy a coffee pot. <laughs> and we talked about it. You know, I, I don't know. I, it's one of those that, uh, sure, they make a really nice espresso shot, but I don't do espresso often. Right. The the the, the ability to do it, pretty cool. But yeah. at the same time, I was like, eh. Yeah. So, yeah, this one, though, it, it's a new Keurig that you can actually froth the milk and make, and you can pour it in for cappuccino, which appealed to her 16-year-old heart. And I said, great, I'll never touch that. Yeah. You have fun with that. Yeah. We've got a Keurig. And originally, the boys were pretty excited about being able to make cocoa. And mm -hmm. uh, guess so many cups of cocoa they've made. None. None. But I guess it is summer. Maybe winter will kick up. I don't know. Uh, there was a lot of excitement which got me excited. And to me, there's no bigger letdown than when I get excited because other people are excited. And then they like, they ghost my excitement. And so I'm just by myself excited, <laughs> <laughs> which I heard can lead to blindness. So, you know, it always freaks me out a little bit if I'm excited by myself. Right, but we're burying the headline here. Wow, I, I don't know where that conversation was going. I was a little creeped out. So please tell me what the headline is. Bring it back. No, we we're bearing the headline. You just got back from vacation. Yes, I did. And so, I mean, you know, we've got a lot to go through today, but highlights, lowlights. Did you see anybody famous? Did you see a film? Did you eat a sandwich? Wow. Uh, okay, yes. So this was our second trip up to Cape Cod, which is the peninsula off of Massachusetts where you know we did not stay in these type of houses but it's where the elite go to live it's where um uh the kennedy family would go spend time we went back because it's really kind of a cool area and that you can go from massachusetts into rhode island yeah in a matter of an hour and a half which was one of the things my wife wanted to do my wife is a massive tennis fan and the international tennis hall of fame is up in rhode island she said let's go to rhode island and i said okay we drive up there. Uh, we went to the International Tennis Hall of Fame, which is, here's the cool thing. I walk in and they tell me the price of the tickets and I my bowels almost dropped. I was, oh, oh. But then he said, oh, and today is the International Tennis Hall of Fame tournament begins and you get to see John Isner. So if you're not a tennis fan, John Isner currently is ranked 18th in the world. Mm. And he was playing and we got to watch, I mean, you go in and this Hall of Fame thing is yeah you've got a Hall of Fame it's beautifully done, but then they've got a grass court they've got grass courts hard courts clay courts they can do anything they want there. Then this was on grass and we got to watch a, a televised tournament with the 18th ranked player in the world. So that was our famous person. 
So I, um, I've got a follow-up question, and yep. this is just because I like. Was there a food court? Okay, leave that one alone. So you got to see someone. <laughs> you got to see somebody play play tennis. Now, I also yeah. your interest level really. I mean, I mean, when you're on family vacations, there are certain elements that, or certain things you have to do. Yeah, you actually really each other right, right, from right. time to time. So where was this on the on the Todd fun meter? Um, let's start with the Abby fun meter. Negative eighty three. <laughs> and 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 now here's the thing. The cool thing about Cape Cod is that you are literally on the ocean. That that's a peninsula that goes out into it. And so last year the high temperature never got above like seventy three. This year it was around eighty. However, yeah. when we went into Rhode Island, because you're back inland, you would get you're sitting there and you'll get those coastal breezes and they're very cool. Yeah. Until then it's about 96. <laughs> and we were like, and my daughter is going, Oh my God. Oh my God. And I was like, if you say, Oh my God, one more time, I will leave you here in Rhode Island. I'll just do it <laughs> for me. It, you know, I, I like tennis. Uh, Shelly and I both enjoy watching it. I, maybe it ranks about a four or five on my okay. you know scale of 10 All for right. Shelly. It was a, a positive 83. Yeah. She was ecstatic. Now, what was cool is that then, you know, because that's a very tennis rich environment up there, we would go around and they would have the tennis network on and we would look and be like, hey, that's the court we were just watching. And that's that's always cool when you go, I've actually been there. Um, that what, What's cool about going up to Rhode Island, and, and I'm going to really make this the end of my my thing. We, we went to a place called the Breakers and it the Vanderbilt family, which Gloria Vanderbilt, who recently died and was as uh, Anderson Cooper's mother was a member of this family and they were one of the original like elite families in America. They built this thing. And, and maybe I, when I get a chance, when I get back to work tomorrow, I'll, I'll take a time and pop a couple of pictures on the Twitter feed. Yeah. This place that they lived in is now just a historical mark uh, landmark. It is the most opulent thing. It looks like you're in the Royal palace. You go inside and it's like, Oh my God. Yeah. But the great, 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 great grandfather of the Vanderbilts decided that America needed a bit of the regal type thing. Now he was apparently a pretty good dude that was never about, Hey, I'm worth so much and you're worth nothing. He just felt that America needed that. I have never been anywhere in my life that was like this. It was just like everywhere you looked, you know, 24 karat gold leaf press stuff that was artistically done. It was, it was amazing. So if you ever get a chance to go up there, I Cape Cod is amazing. I love that. Like I said, you can drive around and it's good food. You asked about that. There's that's fresh seafood that's coming in. If you like that kind of thing, yeah. it was, we had a great time. So as far as the cost for this thing, since you brought it up, are we talking, uh, are you talking a million dollars? Are you talking like over, like, is it like, okay, so you got a dinner dinner, you got a family of three. Mm -hmm. Is it like eating at like Kobe's steakhouse? Well, when you're asking about the expense, you're asking about the total expense or just for dinner? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a terrible job of asking you how I'm much it costs. I'm used to cost. that. Go ahead. Of <laughs> <laughs> asking you how much it costs. You're talking about over a hundy, two bills, three bills. If I'm eating dinner, it's no, you no, know, no, no, to get into the tennis hall of fame. Oh, with the tennis hall of yeah, fame. I'll yeah. just flat out tell you yeah. because you can look it up. It was sixty-one dollars a piece. Ooh. Actually, yeah. Yeah. But the whole thing was we drove up there to see it and my wife's back there and she's going, to, it's kind of hot. I'm going to stand back here. So when the guy says, okay, that's 61 a piece, <laughs> my bowels loosened. Then when I told, told it up and realized what the tax was, they just dropped. I was like, <laughs> are you kidding me? When I go see things, hey, honey, let's go see a movie, which yeah. we did see a movie while I was ooh, there. Ooh. And I can quickly tell you about that. Um, yeah. yeah, that 
price hit me. But then when, again, when you're getting in to see yeah. a, a tournament with a dude that is up there, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's an experience that I was like, not what I want to do every day, but Hey, it, I, I gave something to my wife and, and yeah, she loved yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah, it was yeah, a yeah. great time. Yeah. I wasn't so much uh, defending. I think you made the right play there, especially anytime your, your significant other interest in it is plus 87 then it's yeah. a done deal. Yeah. Do well, that. thank God I've been saving for this for the better part of a year. So yeah. that Lisa's like, well, there's 200 of that gone. I was going to put that elsewhere. But uh, while we were there, we went, uh, we kind of have a tradition of trying to go and see movies while we're on vacation. So right. we can go to different movie theaters. I love that. I think that's great. Last, last year we saw the the sequel to Mamma Mia. I did that for my daughter. I was like, okay, you know, that, it was, it was cute. Yeah. Um, this year we saw yesterday, the film that when oh. the guy hits his head that the Beatles yes. never existed. Um, that's made by Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle is a fantastic director who I don't know what happened to him on this one. He, uh -oh. he his judicious mind of, wow, this is not needed was not there. I, it's a film that it's cute. It's sweet. There's one part in it that, because I'm a Beatles fan of the, for the listeners that don't know, my daughter, Abby is named after Abby road. I love the Beatles. So there were things in it that are naturally going to touch me. However, director occasionally has to say, while this is entertaining and we all think it's fun, it's not necessary to tell this story. And you have to start getting streamlined. You take things out. Yeah. You you say this isn't needed. And there are probably about 15 to 20 minutes worth. And I'm talking that heavy mm. of things that are like, whoo, if you'd cut that out, this thing would be streamlined and it would be adorable. It yeah. would be a great little romantic comedy that's sweet. I still don't know what the film was about. And that's a bad thing when you. Yeah. You know, I, I think it wanted to be about be yourself, you be honest. Rip off the uh, Beatles. Well, and, you know, and, and there are some <laughs> funny things about that. Now, the, there are some funny things when you see it that if the Beatles aren't there, the, the best part of it was as a musician, he starts searching the Beatles and all he keeps getting is bugs. And then he goes, Oasis, because Wonderall was yeah. one of the songs he sang as a kid. And he sees something, he puts Oasis, Wonderall, and it's they aren't in existence either. For the musicians of the world, you realize that to us, Oasis is nothing but a Beatles ripoff. Right. And so if the Beatles never existed, they did. And he's like, oh, okay, makes sense. You know, there are some cute, clever things yeah. like that, but it's it's just, it's a little hollow. So so tough on some of those films where the the premise is like, yeah, that's really good. And then, mm -hmm. and then, and then you get into the meat of it. Just the execution, yeah. Just, yeah, just to show you how much I was missing you mm -hmm. and I was, and I got a little sick. Um, Here's, oh. here's what I watched while I was in bed in between of running back and forth to the laboratory. Mm -hmm. um, Once Upon a Time in America. Oh. Taxi Driver. Oh. Um, what else did I watch? There was like a couple of, oh, Scarface. Eh. Uh, yeah, on Scarface, I agree. Um, interesting to go back. Better. Right, right. Um. But uh, Once Upon a Time in America was something that's always, I mean, it's, I don't know if it came out after Godfather, but I mean, it's trying so hard. Obviously, De Niro's in it, um, but uh, a long movie, three and a half hours long. Yeah. Um, um, and I'm looking that up for you on the year. And Taxi Driver. Um, you know, some, some real interesting parts in it, of course, you know, uh, very well known and, and everything else. But, you know, I, I enjoyed going back and kind of watching that, that film and, and with my right. new, my new brain knowledge of film, uh, interesting. 
Um, so Once Upon a Time in America was 84. And for those of you that like to know, that's Sergio Leone. Yes. Um, so then I've got a question for you, because in Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. there's a scene that has Scorsese in it, right? No. Who's the director? I'm thinking Scorsese. The Is it Scorsese? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a scene. Do you remember the scene that Scorsese's in? I know he's, oh yeah, he's the one in the back of the taxi cab. Yeah, and he's spying on his wife. Yeah. Why do directors put themselves in the film? Was that his, was that, was there was nobody available and he just wanted the scene? Because the scene itself is kind of a throwaway. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's a throwaway, but at the same time, I, that's a film that I, I need to watch again. I haven't seen that probably in a good 10 years. And my daughter wants to watch it, it being a film fan, but yeah. I'm also like, honey, that one's really pretty hard hitting. Yeah. Um. I, directors putting themselves in cameos goes way back. Yeah. And that's really kind of a, a it's one of those that if it, like, like musicians will often allude to different things that people have done. That is something that directors do. I think Scorsese surprisingly is pretty entertaining in that moment. Um, and I think it's really, it, it feeds into the tedium that the Travis Bickle character feels at that moment so i'd have to watch it again i don't know why he did it but yeah. I, I would imagine it's a nod to people like hitchcock and whatnot who was in almost everything he ever made well i, I would love for you to see that scene because actor oh <laughs> oh i don't know i kind of kind of like it. Uh, by the way a, a fun little note yeah once upon a time in america is oddly tied to leone's 68 film called once upon a time in the west he wanted to create this kind mm. of feeling of that that's why you then also had uh, Robert Rodriguez make, what, what was that called? Once Upon a Time in Mexico or something like that. Uh, yeah. Yep, 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 and yep. then we got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood from Tarantino. So that's, uh, that's an, this is a continu- kind of continuation to the great Sergio Leone. So I, I'm pretty impressed with you with the films you watch, brother. Yeah, I tried to, I, you know, I'm trying to get a little bit, uh, a little more in there. Um, and then, of course, like this past week, we watched Long Shot, which is just basically knocked up. Uh, redo. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, now I forgot what I was. Oh, and, and I didn't realize that in Once Upon a Time in America, that's where the famous line noodles I slipped uh, came from. So anyway, I watched watched some films and everything. And um, you're back now, so my pulse can re- uh, return back to normal. Well, and- I, I can take your pulse back and re- make you realize that even on vacation, the great Hartzell family that watches all this wonderful stuff, yeah. we got so trapped into watching Beat Bobby Flay on Food <laughs> Network when we had nothing else to do that we started looking. Statistically, how many times does Bobby win? Yeah. Which is about two-thirds of the time he yeah, wins. Of course. Of course, my wife sits down and who is the great... I, I give you crap about constantly um, being the negative, oh, whatever. Minimalist. That's Thank you. I couldn't think of the word. Yeah. Shelly is 10 times worse than you are, my friend, because, well, what makes him so great? Why is he so great? And I start reading off, you know, you start reading. I was like, damn, this dude's like a culinary expert that's yeah. still on call. And yeah. so she starts watching and I'll be damned if the Food Network did not program it so that every time Bobby loses, it was shown this past week because she's like, see, I'm here and he loses. He's not that great. I was like, shut up. I haven't watched that show in a while. Uh, yeah. It's a fun show. Oh, and it's the one where, uh, for those kind of listeners aren't aware, basically Bobby Flay, a chef, goes into an arena, not arena, but it basically it's set up that like, you know, Todd makes great, I don't know, cheeseburgers. So then right. Bobby Flay comes in and tries to beat you making a cheeseburger. And you do like a simple burger, and he always does something with aioli on it. Well, you know, that's the the fun thing was like what we watched him get beat 
and was this one dude from New Orleans did crawfish boils, which, hey, you know, yeah. somebody from the South, I love a crawfish boil, yeah. and there is an art to making that right. And Bobby lost. Yeah. And, it, you know, because he put aioli fact, on it. <laughs> the fun thing about it is, though, is that I, you tell me I'm this renaissance man. I want to be so well versed in one discipline. Yeah. That somebody comes and goes, crawfish boy, I know how to do that. And I I can make my version that even though I may lose to you, it still doesn't suck. Right. That dude can do, I mean, that's just, wow, that is such, that is such discipline and skill. I'm in awe of people like that. We should, uh, we should have Chef Jeff on sometime. We can talk some cooking and stuff. Let's like do that. it. I would, I, I would love to talk about that. I mean, that's to me, that's pop culture too. That that's the cool thing about the food network. Now Yeah, they have made cooking something you can watch. Think about that. If I'd said that to you 30 years ago, there's going to be a TV network dedicated to cooking and you're going to watch people cook. You go, whatever. That's pretty cool. That's good. I'm a good impersonation of my voice. It's pretty, it's pretty yeah. fun. Yeah. Cause I say that all the time. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you had a good vacation. I'm glad you guys are Thanks. back uh, home safe. Um, and like I said, uh, there is no better vacation than vacation after the vacation. So welcome to your second vacation. And thank Thanks, you for brother. taking time to uh, talk to me and the kind listener. All right, so let's let's get into, because we've got a lot to go through today. Center stage is going to be uh, When They See Us, the uh, Netflix show that's on about the Central Park Five, uh, now referred to, according to Oprah, the Exonerated Five. Uh, before we get into all that, let's go ahead and look at what's happening around uh, pop culture as far as movies. And we got a, a little bit, um, I'm, I'm not going to do headlines. We, we have a few things to mention, but we'll just pull them in like we uh, a la carte, so to speak. Um, so uh, not much of a change. Uh, we have one new entry for the top three films. Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home uh, is in first place. We got Toy Story 4, which I have yet to see. Uh, and then in third, uh, from Paramount, a movie that I'm not familiar with at all called Crawl, and I'm guessing by that tr- that title, is scary. It is. It is about, I believe, a hurricane hits, and these people go to the basement to get away from it, yet because of the hurricane, a massive alligator gets into <laughs> their basement. And the review I read when I was sitting there in Cape Cod, and I'm, of course, I can't turn away from, from crap like this, if you're ever going to see one movie about an alligator getting into a basement, make it crawl. So, you know, hey, there's a, it, saying it's absurd. Yeah. But not too bad. Okay. That sounds good. Um, not really, but okay. <laughs> for some reason, I'm having some uh, technical difficulties. So let me see if I can get my uh, network re-back up. But basically, uh, I was going to tie into the news that came out last night which is that uh, we have a new leader when it comes to the uh, highest grossing movie. And basically, um, Avengers Endgame just passed Avatar to become the highest grossing film ever. So basically, Marvel Studios' plot of, hey, we're going to add in a little film after the credits, that's an homage to Stan Lee and one deleted scene, which I will tell you because I took my wife and daughter finally to see it is the, what you're looking at and you're going, well, I don't understand why that was ever a part of the film kind of deleted scene. Right. But that was their strategy was we're going to put these out and see if this will knock us over the top. And it, it appears to have worked. Do you know, do you know what the, uh, what the take for it has been so far off the top of your head? I don't. 
$2.7 billion. So that's, a, that is amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, this is going to sound like, Hey, film snob, but th- really when you get into film, what people will tell you is that is amazing. Except that when you, they, they'll talk about adjusted dollars. When you go into actual tickets sold, yeah, no one's no one is ever going to touch the the leader, which is gone with the wind. Oh, and you know if you start applying, and even Star Wars, I think maybe two or three, you're never going to touch those because that was a different time. Now yeah. people can consume media in so many different ways, yeah. um, and you know the the idea, the culture icon of something like Gone with the Wind, which was a massive novel, um, the spectacle of seeing films, you're you're just never going to touch it. However, you will continue to have these. Avengers won't be there for long. And so, maybe five years, something will be it. So all we have to do mm-hmm. is make a film mm-hmm. and then charge one ticket for $3 billion to see the film. And then we'll be the top grossing film of all time. Ding. $3 billion ticket. Somebody's got $3 billion laying around. You know, the funny thing is I'm reading... Um, I'm reading a book right now, and this is partially due to doing Minute of the Apes, but it's about the the making of Planet of the Apes. And it really is this this guy that writes these does an amazing job breaking things down. But he even talks about and alludes to that this idea, this idea that we have to report on box office totals to the populace is a very odd yeah. thing. It didn't yeah. used to exist. Now they would tell you over a million dollars made. Oh, yeah. people see yeah. it wasn't this weekly box office total. Now it's become a justification. Like I'm looking right now at Rotten Tomatoes. The uh-huh. odd thing is uh crawl is sitting at 84% approval, which is pretty big. Yeah. The Lion King, which is killing box office records is at 55%. <laughs> so, you know, it doesn't matter anymore whether you're good or not. It's whether you have a name that can get you out there yeah. and you can make your shitloads of money. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's absurd what we've done to movies and we, how we've turned it into a justification game because, hey, the Lion King's only 55%, but we're kicking your ass, man. We're more, you know, it's just, it's turned it into sport. And the uh, same, and this will segue into our next top three, which is going to be the Billboard top three. Okay. Um, you could say the same thing about the music industry as far as names and pulling in stuff as well. Without question. Yeah. All right. Um, so the first two in the uh, top three billboard have not changed. We're still looking at uh, Old Town Road by uh, Little Nas X featuring Billy Ray Cyrus. Can't nobody tell me nothing. That song just makes me giggle. Uh, it definitely, it definitely brings out the old man in me. Ooh, we should write a song called that. Um, and then that's ba- actually a pretty good title. <laughs> I may borrow that, Jeff. Bad guy uh, by Billy Eilish. 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 Sorry, Billy. Uh, just contact our publicist, and uh, we'll send you a the other kind of radio napkin or something like that. But uh, holding steady at two, it's um, Billy Eilish and Bad Guy. Just can't get enough guy, just always so puff guy. I'm that bad type, make your mama sad type, make your girlfriend mad type, my seduce you. And you said Abby's a big, big fan of uh huge. Yeah. And you know, so Billie Eilish is pretty interesting young lady. Um she ta- she taps into the angst of teenagers very, very 
nicely. Yeah. Um, she and her brother write all this music together. She's a pretty interesting performer. And she's one of those kind of people that I think is going to have that ability in no way. I'm, I'm going to correlate her to Madonna, but in no way is she Madonna, except that Madonna was always able for the majority of her career to be a chameleon that wrote, that rolled into yeah. where pop music was going and change. I think Billie Eilish may have that possibility. She's a pretty interesting young lady. And I know you're pretty excited to find out who's in third place this week. Bring it. It's uh, it's a uh, bad guy. Um, no, excuse me. Goodbyes by Post Malone featuring Young Thug. If I can hit play here, can we hit play? Can we get? Can we get it? Can we get it to play? That's up to you. Why is it not? Oh, it's because I've got the wrong thing pulled up. Once again, folks, uh, we do record this live. This will even be more fun when we're on Twitch. Here we go. Uh, here's goodbyes. Uh, Post Malone featuring Young Thug. There's no way I can save you Cause I need to be safe too I'm no good at goodbyes We're both acting insane But you're stopping to change Now I'm drinking again Haiti proof in my veins And my fingers too stained Looking over the ass So... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, so when you get back to that that country song that is at number one, I still don't quite understand it. What I at least appreciate, I went and looked up on an app what the chord changes were, and it's the chord changes are a country song chord changes. Um, <laughs> what I can't stand with that, I and I've told Abby a thousand times, I'm like, I can't stand these guys that 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 are just monotonely singing yep. and then changing yep. it through a synthesizer. So it's going, wah, 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 yep. it just, I'm tired of that. That might've been unique and exciting the first five times people did it. And now we're up to 5 billion. Right. Tired of it. At least I won by Post Malone had a true melody line to it. So yep. power to him. I agree. I agree. All right, that's your top three movies and top three songs uh, for this week. And uh, a little little ammo in the water cooler. Uh, I don't want to say gun. A little ammo in the water cooler talk. So when you go there, you go, oh, did you know that um, Todd went on vacation? No, don't tell people that. <laughs> okay, you here, here's your water ammo, water cooler ammo talk. Okay. Post Malone, mm -hmm. raised in Omaha, Nebraska. Grapevine, Texas. Oh. So Steve, the... Superstar Steve? That's right. May actually know him. And once again, that would put him in another place where he's better than you and I. <laughs> the count's so high. The count's so high. Yes. All right. So uh, now let's move on to Todd's take on. Let me get... Uh, oh, great. The laptop decided to lock me out and I have to type in a super password. So I'll just make the noise. <laughs> It's time for Todd's take on. Todd, what's your take on this week? Man, that that may be my favorite ever. Could you actually grab that every week? And I want that to be my opener. I'm going to real quickly touch on that we had the Emmy nominations come out for the 71st Emmy Awards. The big headline out of that was that Game of Thrones set records with its nominations. Going to the show... To many people, this is the first time ever they've allowed actors to submit for the lead role. They've uh -huh. always been very, very purposeful about that we are an ensemble. Um, and therefore, that's why they all went to the supporting. But this year, Kit Harrington and Amelia Clark went to the leads. But we also had Peter Dinklage, Nikolai Costa-Waldo, Alf Alfie Allen, Lena Headey, Maisie Williams, Sophie Turner, Gwendolyn Christie, and guest star Chris Van Houten 
all get nominations. So you're looking at the fact that the Emmys are going to pretty much be a party for the goodbye of Game of Thrones. And that that is so typical of award shows, especially yeah. for TV. We've had something like this. It's been so respected, even though your final season was controversial and not as respected. Here are all your awards. Now go away. Right. Um, you also had awards, 20 nominations going to Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, 19 to HBO's Chernobyl. Saturday Night Live continues to confound and get nominations, 18. HBO's Barry and FX's Fosse Verdon got 17 apiece. Netflix's When They See Us, which we're going to talk about on the center stage, got 16. Yeah. You had a lot of things where things were overlooked, but the real thing that comes out of this that um, I wanted to do a quick take on is that the Emmys are a very peculiar award given now in that when this was really created, we had seasons. Seasons for TV were built around car releases if no one knows that's honestly the the first thing where the car releases they came here that's why seasons come out in the fall because cars are going to come they knew they would advertise that's where the dollars came from that model is gone now we still have the network shows that put out their 20 plus episodes a year that fall into that but because of things like netflix amazon hbo etc that's gone so the the interesting thing now, when you look at drama series, you've got Better Call Saul from AMC, Bodyguard from Netflix, Game of Thrones, HBO, Killing Eve, BBC America, Ozark, Netflix, Posse, FX, Succession, HBO. This is us, NBC. You've got one network show. This has all changed these kind of things. So, you know, you look at this and you may see somebody, Stranger Things is out right now, and you're like, why? That came out right at the time of this. They don't get nominations because they came out at the time, but just after the window closed. So it's a very peculiar thing now when you look at how this is going to work. Um, you're not going to see it in the way you expect it for quite a while. So one thing that, uh, and I'm I'm flipping through this as well, and and we'll do our uh, we'll do your our usual uh, Emmy show where we kind of talk a bit more in depth. But of course, one that I saw that I thought was really important and was excited about for you is that somebody very dear to your heart, Bruce Springsteen, was nominated uh, for an Emmy, and that puts him if he wins, uh, he'll have an EGOT, which is your Emmy, Oscar, uh, Grammy, and Tony. Tony. And right. I think last time we talked about it, there's only like 11 or 12 people that have done it. So that would be huge for uh, Mr. Bruce Springsteen. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if they do that. I also noticed that uh, um, the chef that uh, had uh, Anthony Bourdain, his show was nominated uh, for an Emmy as well, which is interesting. Um and I think that's, again, I think, it, it, and it was sad when we lost him and everything, but I think that's also them kind of giving him a nod because I don't remember his show being nominated before necessarily or getting the attention. But um, it, it, I'm getting to the point where I'm with you where uh, award shows are, uh, and lists are kind of becoming a, kind of a pain in the a pain in the ass. But, you know, um, to break them down and to look at them I think is great because I did, I did have like a, a couple WTF moments where I'm just like, you know, where's this, where was the cutout, you know, cutoff, how come yeah. this is in here, you know? Um, and I think that the, I think Emmys, they have an interesting um, dilemma now because they're having to still make room for television. Like you said, they began with the beginning with the car releases and everything where now um, maybe not so much because 
Netflix and everybody else are putting out this really good content. Yeah, it's it is a very bizarre thing, you know, and it's it's also this golden age. I think this truly is a golden age of yeah. television where things are really blurring the line and stepping over and becoming almost film like. You have so much content. How could you ever honor it? I mean, yeah. I, I was the one thing when I was on vacation, I was petrified to think that when they see us, I thought, God, please don't let them overlook that. Um, and and especially one or two actors that we'll talk about. I was like, God, they've got to get some some recognition. And that's really kind of where the fear comes into this is there's so much. How do you honor it? The right. cool thing is at least the Emmys are a little more flexible on some of the categories of how much they'll allow in. Yeah. Where the Oscars, you know, acting categories are always five. You see some flexibility across the board. So if you're going to honor it, at least I'm glad to see they're honoring it. Um, again, I still go back to every time I look at this by the end of it, I'm like, why don't they just release this, which is a list of here's the, the honors right. this year in right. work in television. But, you know, to, to Bruce, uh, that'll be a great honor if he gets there. Um, uh, of course, there'll be the people who say, yeah, well, he only got an honorary Tony. Well, there's no category at the Tonys for solo musical performance they just don't have it they right. it, it was a special thing he did and it was a massive hit and if you've not watched the thing on on uh netflix despite the mic issues <laughs> that jeff so famously loves to point out it's a pretty moving thing just yeah. to hear an artist talk about why and the things that inspire their art that's yes. pretty cool yes. so I, I i purposely personally hope he wins i think that'd be great all right, let's take that projector, put it back on the shelf. It'll be out next week. Thank you, Todd. That was good, Todd. Take take Todd's take on the Emmys being announced this week. In Jeff's judgment, we're going to go over a new show that's available on Netflix, and it is called Blown Away. It just came out and was released, I think, last week. Actually, July 12th was the release date, and um, it's a competition show. So just think of um, Chopped or Master Chef, but the... Uh, venue the medium uh, at which they they compete within is blowing glass now there is a place in omaha where you can actually go um and watch glass blowers in action and it's it's a very um intriguing to me so much heat so much danger they're flinging this stuff around like it's nobody's business but it's molten glass and basically this this competition series takes i think they start out with uh like 10 or 12 glass blowers and then they have you know some uh something they have to do like pop culture or pop art or something like that and they have to blow glass and do this stuff it's pretty cool um it, it to me uh, it, it's interesting to see how the competition uh genre television shows have have progressed with cooking and then home decoration and uh, even Queer Eye for the sta Straight Guy, which isn't really a competition, but it's kind of, you know, the same self-improvement and, and everything else. Um, this, I think, is really pushing uh, the boundaries a little bit as far as what what we're willing to watch and what we're willing to look at. Because I think, um, just like you said earlier in the show, I think if, you know, 15 years ago I said there's going to be a competition show about blowing glass on Netflix, I think you would have said, yeah, right. Um so uh, outside of that, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a good thing. I tell you what, for all those kind listeners that have to do some data entry and or uh, just uh, kind of kill some time, uh, it's, it's produced well. Um, there are some, some interesting elements, at least from the production side, that I think that they, they will probably fix in, se in season two if they do it again. 
and um, make sure you check it out. And 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 really, the end result is, it, it, which it, like many cooking shows and everything, is their final, you know, piece of art that they make. And the rest of the show is just them working on it and them trying to to come up with content to fill that half hour uh, for the show. It's currently on IMDb. It's currently getting a six point six, uh, which. I agree with. I would have it maybe maybe uh maybe at seven, but six point six seems uh, pretty fair. That is blown away. Netflix, check it out if you're into glass blowing, or if you don't know anything about glass blowing. I, I think I love shows like this that they're they're coming out because this it's almost the idea of like what Delia's Catch is a, a job you would never think let's make a TV show about. Right. But it's so unique that it does stand out. It's begging for it. So, you know, even going back to that model before, the networks would never ch- touch that kind of stuff, but it's perfect for something like Netflix. I, I can't wait to check that out. All right. So, uh, Blown Away, Netflix, check it out. Fun to do. Todd's going to check it out. You should check it out. And then we'll all check it out. And then it'll be checked out. All right. Let's go on to center stage. And uh, to, we've been kind of... Uh, commenting and highlighting this for a couple of weeks now but today we're going to focus on a uh netflix series that was released a while back um entitled um when they see us uh it i'm going to title do the tail tail of the tape here in a second but it basically is a four episode series uh it's not a documentary um, but it is all around the Central Park Five, which I'll have to say and admit my own ignorance, I was not very well um, versed when it came to what happened to them, uh, the players that were involved, and everything else. So part of it, you know, one of the one of the beautiful things about being uh, uninformed is when you do get something like this to inform you, it makes it all the more, uh, at least for me, more enjoyable. I do want to say as well that, you know, we're going to talk about this and there's, you know, it's very heavily politically driven right now. And, and everybody knows it's uh, here at the Other Kind Radio. We, we give you a break from all that stuff. There's enough of that going on uh, all around. So um, we're going to focus on the storyline and, of course, uh, some of the production elements that are in it, uh, as well as, you know, obviously um, uh, what happened. Uh, but we're we're really gonna we're really gonna take a look at it and uh, talk to you more about the show than uh, than really any of the other political stuff. You can you can form those opinions on your own and everything. But uh, Last of Us, I know I avoided this for a while just because I knew a little bit about it and it just to me was going to be something that was pretty pretty heavy lifting when it comes to to watching. Um, but with the tail of the tape, sort of to Todd and and he can tell us a little bit about uh, those that are behind the scenes. This is Ava DuVernay's take on the story of the five young men that were arrested in 1989 for the rape of a, a very brutal rape of a woman in Central Park. Um, after spending 13 years in prison, their convictions were overturned when a serial rapist confessed to the crime. This is told in four parts that really this shows you when a masterful filmmaker comes in and says, I'm going to tell you a story yeah. and every one of it's going to layer in things for you so that your perception is constantly changed. Yes. Constantly challenged. This, this, I, I'll say right at the top, this is top tier filmmaking. If you don't know Ava DuVernay, Ava DuVernay kind of 
exciting to me, never went to film school. She didn't study these things, but she was a publicist, worked in things and started directing some stuff. She famously became known for Selma in 2014. She then won the Academy Award for 13th, which is a documentary about the 13th Amendment, which, look, I, we try to keep political commentary right. down, but if you want your perceptions to be challenged about the incarceration of black males in America, yeah, go watch that, and you're going to come out going, um, I didn't know that, because it was one of the most challenging documentaries I'd ever seen, and I came away from it just floored. I was like, wow, the talent of this woman to be able to tell a narrative like Selma to tell this. I had no idea. Right. Now, she famously did just direct A Wrinkle in Time, which from I did not see it. By all accounts, it kind of failed. Yeah. Um, I'm not familiar with that book, really, but I understand that it just was not well executed. Yeah. It's a book like that that I did. I read a couple times as a kid. That's one of those ones that... Uh, you're going to go see the film and, and you're going to be let down just like I was let down with ready player one in that yeah. when you read a book like that, that's so powerful and and really works the imagination. Everybody's going to have a different idea of what it is in their head. Um, is it something like, you know, you almost wish that she had taken a recall in time to Netflix and done some kind of series with it instead yes, of just a movie. Right. Cause I, I think that as you said so well earlier, I think some of those, those, those restrictions, those, those things that uh, can, can tend to get in the way uh, when doing a major motion film would have been cut away um, if Netflix or Hulu or somebody had, had done it. Um, because w what I really like what you said is I didn't know she didn't go to film school, but there are some masterfully done yes. things in this series. So not only do you have, gr you know, a great story, I, should, I don't mean great stories like great that it happened, but you have a, a captivating storyline and series events that, that lead to this this injustice, um, which in itself, you know, can be very powerful and would carry a lot of the weight as far as, you know, what what you're trying trying to educate or what you're trying to show on the screen. But you get somebody that has her unique eye and and feel for putting a scene together, and it just takes it like you said to another level. A whole, I mean, it, it's not only difficult to watch. But you keep watching because it's done so well, and she does so many elements from the cinematography. The sound on it is is very well done. Is uh, is the mixing is is phenomenal. So you you get to hear. It. And I've watched it three times, um, and each time I'm picking up on some some very subtle things that that was that were done with sound, lighting, and and just simple shots that really pull you in and, and, and make you kind of uh, feel like you're actually there and part of what is happening on the screen. You know, I think that film school does a lot of things. If you're already in that vein where you're like, I'm so interested, it lets you drink in more information. It lets you understand the language. When you have someone like Ava, du Ava DuVernay, she obviously intuitively understands the language of film. And to the to the extent there is a beautiful moment in it when I believe the character, the the man's name is Corey, and he is the one that's actually incarcerated for the longest amount of time. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm just going to say I don't know how to say this this young man's name, Jarrell Jerome, I believe is how mm -hmm. you say it. Yeah. I, I know him from the Stephen King uh, adaptation of Mr. Mercedes that's a television show on online right now. Oh. Which 
he in that he plays the most intelligent young man in the world. He's almost yeah. like the 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 pace of hey, this is how you do these things. His yeah. this is where acting where these guys can go from one to the other. But his this this man that he portrays. I don't know that he had learning disorders. I've read, and I wish my brain's failing me now. I wish I could remember, but he had some challenges and he plays him so heartbreakingly yeah. true that I thought that is perhaps the best acting I've seen in ages. Yeah. But the reason I want to bring him up, Ava is such a masterful filmmaker that he he basically goes into solitary confinement eventually to lock himself away from the population and keep himself safe. His air conditioning goes out. Yeah in his cell she it beautifully makes the moments of the air conditioning a character in and of itself and it's by her visual flair and what she does with it yeah that then with his acting together they are collaborators that you beg for in cinema yeah and that's why again i said before this is television is now to the level of cinema that when you tell a story that is not about someone saying something, it can become the visual elements right. you're touching into the classic elements of cinema. She is matchful. There are so many moments and I hope we can touch on many of them. I'm sure we're already running long since you and I haven't had a show in a while. I'm sure we are. 49, 49 minutes right now. Okay, so good. Right. But but to, to your point, she does things like that and you're so right. The transitions in this, the choices of, of, of going even from the video confessions of these boys yes. that were coerced, to back to, to the other elements, I, I'm floored by her. Right. I just, when I finished it and I've only watched it once, I was just in awe of this woman. So let's, let's for the kind listener out there, let's go ahead and break it down. There's four episodes, so we'll just kind of go through each one and, and we can kind of speak to each one because you, you hit on a few things on that fourth episode that really, to me, um, probably was the most difficult for them to shoot, but really paid, paid, dividends I, I don't know the right language to use but it, it really brought everything home so the first episode be begins with the boys um going um to central park this is the late 80s um crime is is pretty high in new york and i guess this at that time there were some kids that were going to central park and doing this thing called wilding which is basically there'd be a group of them and they would harass people that were in the park. You know, uh, we see some bicycle bicyclists get uh, harassed, um, and then we see a guy get punched by another group of of young men. And then, of course, um, there's the uh, cops are called, and these kids are pulled in. That was going to just be kind of a disturbing the peace uh, type of uh, charge because they were out there running around. Whereas the next morning, that's when the uh, rape is reported and found and investigated. And there's a moment in that first episode where you can see that they want a solution, they want to fix, they want to say it's solved very quickly. And by having all of these young men that were round up, that were causing these little troubles in the, in the park, uh, I believe one officer said it was like Christmas in the sense that they had... Um, a lot of people and, and could start that investigation and kind of breeze through some of some of the investigatory work and just start trying to find and pin what they were going to do uh, with these boys. Um, and the part that's the scariest uh, for me in watching was just seeing uh, kind of the 
the due process foregone for, for what they thought was going to be the better good as far as trying to solve the crime. But really what shakes you in that first episode is how young these kids are. And the episode, the first episode mainly focuses on them getting arrested and then, you know, uh, before you get into the trial and everything. But I mean, one of the youngest kids was, he was what, 13, 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And just truly a baby. Yeah. And what the cops end up doing, um, according to the, to the show. And, 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 and again, I don't know how much, how much of this was, was, uh, expanded power or ba take liberty with a little bit, but basically they question those young boys for up to, I think it was 40 hours with no food, water, break, or anything. And without representation yeah, from no, parents yes. or lawyers as well. Yeah. So basically they, they were coerced into admitting that they did these things. And unfortunately, because they did so and they signed their names and had videotape confessions, that's really what, um, you know, created the, the public opinion. And then of course in the court enough, enough evidence that they were, you know, uh, in season two, when we get into the court, uh, get them convicted. And it's just scary. Cause you can just see their minds being messed with. And then, and then eventually, you know, this, they've been saying these horrible things that they, they in fact didn't do. So, one of the things I want to bring up is that Ken Burns, the famous documentarian, also made a film about this simply yes. called the Central Park Five. And Ava du DuVernay does not step away from the facts of this case Good. very Good. much. Now, sure, any film you make, you may have to say, hey, this really happened with three characters. Right. It was one. I think we touched on that when we talked about Chernobyl, that you, yeah. you kind of have to do that if you're going to say, we're only going to tell this in four hours. Right. She may do some of that, but the facts of the case that these young men were taken in. One of them simply goes down to the police station. Oh, yeah. the, 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 the one that I mentioned, Corey Wise, Jarrell Jerome, yeah. he, he goes down, uh, portrays Corey Wise and he goes down to simply represent with his friend to make sure he's okay. Yeah. yeah. And then he's brought in, but he is so ill-spoken, mm -hmm. so afraid that he succumbs to it. And, the Kimber's documentary shows you a bit more of the actual tapes and you can almost see the bewilderment of this. They yeah. have no physical uh, evidence to show these men right. were part of this. They have nothing but signed confessions. All I could sit and, and, and this is where, you know, this is awful to give a nod to Ava DuVernay for this, but I, I, I thought what she did to tap into me as a parent. Yes. I thought, what if my daughter got pulled in like that? Yeah. And yeah. they wouldn't let me see it. And, and then they also make these parents, John Leguizamo plays one yes. of the parents and he has to go to work. Yep. Um, Michael Kenneth Williams from, uh, that was Omar on the, the wire. Once again, just an astoundingly good actor. Oh yeah. Plays yeah. a parent that has been incarcerated and he's afraid of what will happen. Yep. And you know, the one Liguizamo's character is afraid if he doesn't go to work, he'll lose his job. Michael Kenneth Williams has played against him because he's got a good job. They almost feed into it because they're told if your kids yep. will just say they witnessed this, yes, we'll let them go. Well, heartbreakingly, Michael Kenneth Williams' character makes his son confess to it yeah. because he's like, just tell them what they want to know. We'll go home. Yeah. He doesn't understand the implications that what he's saying puts this kid involved in it. The horror, it, it, it truly is almost a horror story that you're watching of what was done to children. Right. And 
immediately your heart is broken. Um, I have a friend who's much more conservative in the world than I am. And I, I begged him to watch it. And he said, dude, I that first episode, I don't know if I can. What yeah. they, he said, and I, he said, I know that it's different for a young black man than it is for me. Right. But I can't watch it. I said, watch it. Because believe it or not, and I'm telling this to the kind of listener, by the end, your faith in that people can stand up and do good yeah. is rewarded. Right. But yeah, this first episode does a masterful job of letting us see what happens to the boys. But then with the second episode, you begin to see that the police truly are mounting a conspiracy with the prosecutors are fudging yeah. timelines, yep. blatantly ignoring conflicting evidence in order to get the kids a guilty verdict. Yeah. Now, New York at that time had not been cleaned up to the point that right now you go to New York and by yeah. and large, a lot of the, it's Disney. Yeah. You, you go into Times Square, it is not what it used to be in the 80s. Right. But they were... At that time, the heat was coming on. We don't want to live in the city. We're the grandest city in the America in the world. We should be this pillar of, you know, safety. Well, the the force that they knew was upon them to resolve this crime was there yeah. to the point that they didn't care that they could look at a map and say the boys were seen at this location right. while the rape was going on here. They couldn't have got there. They began to do this, and that here's the thing. You can, if you want to point fingers and say, yeah, well, she's taking liberties. No, she's not. It's it's just blatant that right. the boys were here. They were there. It's a, This is a hard pill to swallow. This episode is very hard to watch, right. in my opinion. And, and and you allude, and we can go ahead and get into uh, into the second episode, which basically focuses on the trial of all the boys. And because the police did such a coercive job in getting these confessions, they realize that they can't put them all five on trial together because there's too many holes in all these stories that they're telling. So they decide that they are going to have two different trials and split the five up to make it easier to make the timelines and their evidence fit in. One thing I wanted to mention real quick that I thought was also done very well. And, 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 and I think, uh, Eva did a good job and the writers did a good job I mean, because at the end, at the end of the day, there was a victim. There was a young woman that was brutally beaten and raped and, you know, whose life will never be the same. And I thought she did a really good job not getting, not letting us forget that as far as an audience too, right? Because at the end of the day, this person's life is is going to be changed. And it, I, for, for some, I think it would be just easier just to focus on the five and the injustice there. And I thought it was done very, very well. I thought the fact that this young woman was white, I thought she masterfully crafted that that was why all the attention was being put on solving the case. They, they, she never had anybody say it. She never had it kind of pushed in your face. But the way that she edited, and there's some, there's some footage from some well-known people uh, on television, talking about the case. She also did a really good job showing that in the media, it was also quick to judge on what had happened. Um, but all of it was done in a very subtle way that let you discover it on your own versus, you know, just a, just a kind of blatantly having somebody read an article in it or whatever that, that put all that out. And so I, I like that she did that. And, and then, you know, as we get into the case and some of this stuff, this evidence, which you and I'll get into, you know, that there is no DNA, there is no weapon, there, or there isn't anything that you need. Um, but yet those confessions were so, so important in, you know, swaying the jury. 
you you touch on something that I I definitely want to make a point of while talking about this, and I'm going to do it now. Oftentimes, when you watch things about race, there are the comments um, that you, if you're going to talk about the injustices that we have steeped upon African Americans and other races, minority races, yeah. Oftentimes, the criticism in film comes out that you have the white savior role. You have the white mm-hmm. lawyer that shows up and saves the day or the white villain role. Um, look, there's no way to get around it when you get into racism and get in these things. You're going to have villain roles. It's just the way they yeah. may have their reasons for it. Mm-hmm. And you may define them and they they may be. And I think that is important sometimes when we we can put someone in there who seems a villain, but we can understand where they come from. It does not make, does not excuse their actions. Right. We at least understand it. What Ava DuVernay does in this, it is not about that the blacks are prosecuted, that the whites are villains, that they're, they are people yeah. making bad judgments within a system that's horrifically flawed. Right. And your point about that she makes sure that this young lady is put in there as the central victim it's key to this, right? There's always this young lady and what happened to her and how horrific it was. But what she does masterfully is to take the boys as well. And they become victims themselves. So instead of having one victim at the center of this and a horrific attack, suddenly this need to resolve the situation because of the public scrutiny, because of the celebrities that speak out on it creates five victims, right? Five people who this woman has her, her safety, her, her identity, all of it taken from her. But these boys at this very moment, you begin to realize their youth is gone. Yeah. It, because of this need to lie, to resolve so they can go out and high five and say, we're all safe now. Yeah. And that, that happens. We, we tell each ourselves that by locking our front doors, we're safe from the, the cruelty of the world. But in this situation, they do it and they ruin these boys. Right. And it's heartbreaking. But the the key that I really wanted to get to is that at no point does she make anybody a villain as much as all of us together. Right. Create the situation. Exactly. Um, and, and I think that she also, I mean, by watching it uh, as many times as I have, I, that I have, it's definitely, I'm, it's definitely left for you to decide what you're thinking and what's going on. Granted, they're, they're telling a narrative and a story, but, but, she even the characters are in there the detectives and everybody else i mean i I think it's a very fair um view if we're if we're watching and and seeing what's going on so so episode two is the trial uh a couple things i wanted to note real quick is that they're they're lawyers that the boys have are you know one of them is a divorce lawyer divorce lawyer they don't have really high-powered lawyers to go in and do but they do a good job of arguing it and then, uh, of course, at the end of that episode, which I thought was done really well, they they get the guilty, um, they get the guilty verdict. The scene, do you remember the scene where they had the young boy with the trumpet player sit the shot where he was on oh the my street, God, yes. and it was pulling back. Instead of hearing um, the boy scream, you hear him hit these these notes on a horn, and it was just very haunting, but but very very powerful uh, in that uh, episode three is um, basically focuses around four of the five uh, boys that are in jail. Uh, out of the five young men, one, who was Corey Wise, is placed in adult prison immediately. We'll get into that in a minute in episode four. The other four are put in juvie. And I think 
what she does in, in I watched the kind of the behind the scenes thing with Oprah was because these young men were, were, were not only um, found guilty, but now they're registered sex offenders and they're convicts. They could not communicate to each other at all. They were told they, you can't, it's just a law. If you've been found guilty, you can't hang out with other convicts. Um, so this episode three focuses on their, a little bit of their time in uh, prison, but the majority of it is spent on when they get out. And one of the things that uh, they all commented on is a lot of them hadn't shared their experiences uh, until Oprah had uh, approached them. And Oprah's one of the executive producers, but uh, even everybody approached them. So a lot of the um, these young men were learning about what happened to their fellow friends simply by watching this this uh, this show. So you've got the different characters that are coming out and facing the problems of, you know, trying to get a job, trying to do right, try to not get mixed back up. And what I want to, what I want to comment on this was I thought she did a masterful job of really bringing us in and seeing how tough it is. And again, a crime that they did not commit now still, even though they're out of jail, still affecting their life and where they can go and who they can talk to and still in a lot of ways, still having to carry all of that with them. This episode was particularly hard for me to watch. I, I have a friend who's no longer with us that, look, he, he, he got arrested for drugs mm-hmm. and deserved to go to jail. You know, I could argue in this time, something for another time. The sentence was horrific for what his crime was. However, yeah. when he got out, this is a man that was educated that could have contributed to society if he didn't go back to his other problems. Yeah. Could not get a job anywhere. Yeah. They saw that conviction. People would go, sorry, can't. And and that's something that her documentary 13th also lets you see. And you're like, we've created a no-win situation. And where this really comes into play, we see the young Raymond Santana now grown up. Yeah trying to fit back in he has a loving father played by john Leguizamo. yeah yet he can't fit he can't get a job he wants these things and he succumbs to dealing drugs yeah i don't want to go on from there i'll let the story tell itself but that cycle that has been created for this young man because of his conviction because of the sexual nature of it he cannot find work yeah it's a no-win situation and it's why so many men especially of color end up going back to jail because once they fall into this they can't get out right it's rare and you know you have the people say yeah we we have these stories where people have done it yeah you have the stories but there's no system to support the majority of the people so they can escape that and this is a very heartbreaking episode because we realize that once again this woman was brutalized and her life is forever changed she's now an advocate for people that have things happen like that. And she has been able to at least find good goodness in the horror that occurred to her. These young men get out of jail and the horror continues just like it does for her. Yeah. They're all victims of what has occurred. And it's, it's heartbreaking to watch. It truly is. We also, she does another thing technically here that I thought was very well done. We, for the first time in the first two episodes, the, these young men are played by young actors in the third episode, we get to, to um, she introduces the adult actors playing these characters. Um, 
I thought they were very well done. One of the things they did in the production was they spent a lot of time talking with these with these gentlemen, and I think that again, they their method of acting and the way they were portrayed on the screen and where everything was done, it was definitely not. You, I didn't feel like I was watching somebody giving a performance. I thought I felt like somebody really did a lot of work, uh, studied a lot, and simply they were just trying to create a realistic uh, character, caricature or character uh, that re- related to uh, these, these young men um, when they were getting out. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's such a delicate uh, balance between trying to get actors to come in and do it. And then, and, and having the actors understand that they're, they're going to be involved with a project that is so huge. Um, but at the same time, you have to be respectful not only to the script but also the the people that you're portraying and i thought they did a really good job of that and that takes masterful direction and it also takes finding actors who uh up to this point like you said i don't think any of them were, were really well known um to go in and and not seize the opportunity to just act and be stand on their own platform i always I always felt they were they were still very respectful uh in their portrayal of these young men very important to do that because again you get to know these these young men and these characters and and being relatable and then at the same time uh, not going outside of what you would see as a normal behavior or characteristic of those individuals was very important to me to keep me you know uh, in sync with the events that I was watching on the screen and episode three I would say out of all of them were Boy, it's just kind of the wind-up um, for what we'll go through here when we when we go over uh, episode four. Any any final thoughts on three? Yeah, the one thing you touched on that really, when I watched it from a filmmaking standpoint, her transitions when we we go from yeah. seeing them as boys to men, it's never clever. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah, they're so beautifully intelligent. Yes. The choices, yes. because what I found myself time and time again, the first time I was like, oh, she's just going to step into this. Yep. The next time I I was looking and I was like, that's him grown up. Yeah. You you begin to know what her language yeah. is. She does it once and that's all it takes right. from that point on that I understand what she's trying to say. Right. You're that, like, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that you feel like you're kind of in on that production portion yes. of the project yeah like you've been kind yeah, of let in I, uh, yeah so many beautiful choices but you know i think you you touch on the truth is in no way is episode three any less than the others but it is it is the one that's going to transition us <laughs> to perhaps the hardest of the hard to watch of what happened to these boys right when they interviewed these men and the men had been interviewed for the kim burns documentary um one of them, and I'm going to have to look up just to make sure I don't misspeak. Uh, let's see. Where is his name? Antron McRae, the the real Antron McRae in the Kim Burns documentary would not allow his face to be seen. Yeah. He only is interviewed. He speaks. Um, it, he, he had a horrible situation. When, again, his father was the one that made him confess to the crime. Right. He never forgave his father. He, he has nope. said that he, he thinks his father in his own words was a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, I had a point where I was going with that and you may have to edit this out. I'm trying to think. It's all right. It's all right. 
I, I did watch. I, I got so wrapped up in what he was thinking. So yeah, yeah. sorry about that. No, no, it's not. Don't worry about it. Because um, in the little the there's a, another thing on Netflix where they sit down and interview him. Yeah. He he, he that uh, that young gentleman is does not want to go to therapy. He works out and everything. But yes, he has a lot of anger in him. Um, but yeah. uh, the fact that he was willing to come out and do this with Oprah and everything was, I think, was was huge. And you're right, yeah. It's the the third episode is not any less of an episode. I didn't mean to uh, have it come out that way, but it's definitely looking back on it. It definitely, you know, you just go from horror. It's this horrible thing happened, and and now we have people that are not guilty, serving time and dealing with it. And now the whole time. We 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 don't hear a lot about Corey and what's going on with Corey, and he's mentioned just a couple times. Go ahead. Well, that, I would that that's yeah. exactly what my thought was. The reason I told the the idea of the the young man in the documentary, the one thing they kept saying was, "You got to tell Corey's story. It's entirely yeah. different than ours." And and yeah. in this part, which is what's at uh, the Oprah interview. It's called When They See Us Now. So when you watch these four, I'm going to implore the kind listener, and I'm sure you would agree, Jeff. Yeah. You got to watch it right after because yes. it it completely just brings you. You're like, my God, so much depth and truth in this. And even in their true comments, you meet the actual five that again, Oprah now calls the exonerated five. Right. But to a man, they said you have to tell Corey's story. And what does she do? She she does not shortchange any of these men. No. But Corey essentially gets his own episode, which is episode four. Right. And we follow him to an adult population. Uh, incarceration and it is to say horrific Ugh. doesn't even touch it because again you're taking you're taking a boy yeah that did nothing right but again yeah. he is a boy he has no business being around these people by all accounts you know was Corey the smartest person in the world it doesn't seem that way they even allude to that and yeah. Ken Burns's thing he even kind of says that yeah that he was a little slower than the rest that has no bearing on anything no. of why he should be there. And that, if anything, shows how horrific it is that he is there. Yes. So he's taken into the situation and constantly. Really, and, gets, and, and gets, to me, the harshest reality Absolutely. afterwards. You know, for, and, and the scene it, when, you know, the, the cops, are, you know, when they're starting to pull these guys in and the cops are like, oh, his name's not Corey Wise. His name's not even on the list. Mm -hmm. But then he's like, you know, his buddy uh, is going to go down uh, to the, to the station. And they're like, you know, he's like, well, will you come? And his buddy's like, yeah, will you, you know, Hey, you know, will you come down with me? And he says, uh, yeah. Um, it's, it's just that, 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 that precursor of what's going to happen. So, so you take somebody that wasn't even there, wasn't even in the part of the investigation. And now he gets adult prison, horrible things done to him. He's got to learn really quick about the injustices inside a prison as far as bribing guards, you know, doing doing the things you need to do to survive. And, you know, his his mom, the mom relationship was really difficult. His his mother had her own set of challenges and issues going on. Uh, I thought the way they introduced his brother who was transitioning uh, was very well done as as well. The 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 family dynamic. The mother has some other things going on, and and I thought when they would do the different, there were some scenes they would show where family would come visit these young men wherever they were being held, and a lot of the families were very supportive. 
you know, you do what you need to do. You, you keep hope. You, 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 you live for a better time. You're going to get out. This is going to be over. You can do this. But Corey Wise was under a different set of circumstances with his family. And when she came to see him, it was very dark and it was very sad and there was no rainbow and there was no, no. pot of gold. It was just, you're inconveniencing me. I have to come here. It's very difficult for me to get here. I can't give you any money. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not able to help you. And one of the most heartbreaking scenes is when he apologizes to his mother and says, I'm going to make it easier for you. I'm going to make it easier. I'm going to try and get in a prison that's closer to you, which backfires. And then he gets sent even further away. He goes to Attica. And the whole episode in itself, and I, I want the kind listener to be able to watch it and, and kind of take it in. I just thought the acting and, and the actor that plays Corey Wise is the only one in in this uh, in this teleplay that played both himself young and old. He didn't have an adult actor, and I thought he did an amazing job. All of the time in solitary confinement, I really thought he was going to lose it. I thought he was going to go crazy. Um, but there is some wonderful, wonderful uh, writing and direction uh, while he's in solitary. What he does to pass the time. And I thought the culmination of when he fantasizes about saying, no, I'm not going to go with you guys to the park. I'm going to stay here with this girl that I'm interested in. Yeah. And they go through the door and they're, uh, they're on Coney Island. Just masterfully done. So well done. Jeff, first off, I am so proud of you. What you see in that, you know, we, we, we joke often yeah. about your education, my friend, you understand, you see it all. And, and you're so right. That moment on Coney Island almost brings chills and tears to my eyes right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just because in that moment you realize one stupid decision yeah. ruined yeah. his life. Now, the one thing that you and I both tweeted when this was over and we included Ava DuVernay and yeah. she, she famously has been a great publicist for her own work. She yeah. is out there. Anybody that tweets or says anything, she's answering and she, she hearted both of our stuff back. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say to her how much I appreciated one particular scene in this, and I'm not going to say why it occurs, but there right. is a white security guard yeah. that becomes Corey's friend. Yeah. And he, and when I say friend, it's not, it's one people, one of the people he does not have to bribe. He actually yeah. brings him things to read, but there is a moment when Corey receives horrific news. Yes. And the white security guard puts his arm around him and just for, and Corey fights. Yeah. But Corey stops because for the, I'm almost brought to tears. Think about it for yeah. one time and all this human compassion is given to him. Right. And it's at the hands of a white man. And I thought, bravo to you. Yeah. You showed that this isn't about black and white. Right. This isn't the struggle between the two because the humanity and the beauty of simply holding someone and saying, you're not in this alone, I'm here with you, yeah. is given by a white man. Yeah. And, and stories like this, so so often, either the, you know, we, we go for the stereotypical thing of the, the white guy is all evil. She does not do that. Right, right. And it, that scene alone is just beautiful. And right. it's so understated. It's so simply done. That it that to some people they may miss the truth of it, yeah. but that's what I appreciated about yeah. her is that she always understood. And and when asked in the Oprah show, 
about that guard. They're like, he's real. He was, that's a real person that really happened. And she knew that's important to this story for people to see. Right. And that's what she does time and time again in this entire thing. Right. She gives you the truth. Now there are places and I want to touch on something and that is the prosecutors that are played by Felicity Huffman and, um, Oh my God, I'm going to forget her name. Vera Formiga. Yeah. Now, if there's anybody in this that comes across as villains, it is these two women um, that Vera Formiga portrays Elizabeth Letterer, who I, they don't really make it out that, if anything, she's kind of over the Linda Fairstein character yeah. that Felicity Huffman plays. And Elizabeth Letterer even questions, you got a lot of holes in this thing. Yep. But then she becomes complicit. And the idea of let's wrap this up and convict these boys. Right. Now, what has occurred out of this, and, and I will touch on the reality, is that once this came out and people began to see what these two women did, they have both been eviscerated. Yeah. In that Linda Fairstein is an author now. She had a publishing contract. She was fairly successful. She lost her contract. Yeah. She, she had uh, roles within law institutions. She has been re- removed, as has Elizabeth Letterer. Both yeah. of them were in very esteemed positions. They've lost everything. It, you sit there and go, gosh, that's harsh. Well, yeah. when we do things, if we do things incorrectly, you hope that justice, whether it be served through a correctional institution or in the, the court of, of public opinion, yeah will do something to you. And these women are paying for this now. So right. this really has happened. If there's one criticism I give is that there is a scene that I know that they, there's no way they had information into what was said. And that is the scene when uh, Fairstein really begins to, yeah, well, we're doing this and this and this and this. Yeah. There's a, that's a lot of conjecture. You're, you're, you're taking the opinion that those exact comments were made but then again, how could you not take that opinion when you see what occurred to these <laughs> Right, right. So we'll, uh, so um, towards the end of episode four, um, there, um, Corey Wise has an altercation in prison with another young man, and that goes away and more time passes. And then it turns out uh, one day this, this other guy approaches him and says, you know, um, do you believe in God and kind of has this kind of weird conversation when Corey's trying to get his angle and trying to understand why he's talking to him. And it turns out that the twist is the gentleman that he was talking to was the actual guy that raped this young woman in Central Park. And this, this man, young man's name is Mateus Reyes. Yes, Mateus Reyes. He goes in, he's found God. He understands that he sinned and he must account for those sins because one of the things that is a recurring theme throughout this this series is these men never ever um admitted confessed confessed they were offered deals every time Corey Wise would go in front of the probation board they would say are you ready to accept you know what you've been charged with and your punishment and he can never get himself to say yes because he didn't do it so the uh what's his name again the 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 guy that confesses Mateus yeah, Reyes so Mateus Reyes basically gets together and admits to prosecution that he did that. And then the exoneration and the changes start to happen. Now, I think it was 2002 they were let out. Um, they did not see any time of restitution until 2014. And to this day, have never received an apology from the state of New York or anything like that, which I think is a little outrageous. But basically, 
the end of the series is them finding out individually, and they kept that very true to how they actually found out. And then the four of them are, I think, at a press conference or something, and and um, uh, you know, raise their hands in in freedom, and and you know, know that they've been exonerated, and everything else has been, uh, you know, t- been uh, they've been exonerated, and all their records and everything are, are scrubbed clean. Um, most of them have left. Two of them live in Atlanta, and I think another one lives in Maryland. But Corey Wise, who again got the worst deal out of all of them, uh, still resides in New York and actually has, uh, I, I heard that uh, he has bought a condo that overlooks Central Park and uh, still lives in the city that he loves. Um, we hope we hope we've done justice in kind of giving the kind listener a, a, a tour of this series. Um, it's must-see. For those that uh, that that not only want to see really good direction and acting and and all the technical elements as far as a film or teleplay, however you want to look at it, but also just the education of what happened and everything. And I want to say real quick, so uh, right now, so the 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 exonerated five are Kevin Richardson, he's forty four, Antron McRae, who's forty five, Raymond Santana, who's forty four, and Corey Rise, who is forty six. So, um, you know, what, 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 what an amazing, uh, group of, of, of men and those that surrounded them and their families and, and everything, just, just a bit of a, a game changer for me after watching this, it took me, it took, it took a while to kind of digest <laughs> and, and work through everything I was feeling, but, uh, just masterful and, and so thankful that they were willing to, uh, participate in the project and Ava did a fantastic job. You know, I, I want to implore everyone. I, I think when you call it must-see, I think it, that is truth. Yeah. I think that we as Americans need to see this type of thing. Yeah. We need to understand that no matter what we want to think, it, life is hard for every one of us, and we still need to expose ourselves to many of the things that other people are exposed to. To yeah. understand that is to be human. I will also implore you, like I said, to watch the Oprah Winfrey When They See Us Now interview that I believe it's within the algorithm of Netflix. It's the first thing that's offered to you once you're done. Then jump over to Amazon and watch the Ken Burns two-hour documentary because that's when you're just going to get a clinician of a um, masterful documentarian who, now when I say this, you're not going to see the woman in question or she's been brutalized, but they show you the crime scene. And there are prosecutors that look and say, if I saw this crime scene, yeah. I would say this is one person attacking another. There is nothing yeah. to support multiple people, especially children who would be rambunctious, scared, and wild in this area. Yeah. And they show you the crime scene, and you're like, yep. And then when they also say, and there was only one set of DNA that was matched within one in six billion people. Yeah. And you start going, how did this occur? So this is, we're, we're asking you for a major investment of time but i promise you as a human being yeah as a lover of pop culture that's why you're here with us right this is everything that you want it to be this is something you need to consume very well said it's uh it's called when they see us it's on netflix and uh yeah like i said four episodes it's it's uh, a must see 
I don't know how to shift gears out of that. <laughs> but You can't. You simply yeah, can't. Yeah, exactly. So we'll reset. You're listening to The Other Kind Radio. I'm Jeff. He's Todd. And uh, we've come to the end of the show, and I'm still working on what I'm going to say uh, to close this out. But uh, I'm so glad you're back from vacation. Thank you for your time today, Todd. Next week, we're going to get into a documentary, which uh, I watched last night, and I'm excited for Todd to see it. It's called Apollo 11. It is probably one of the slickest documentaries I've ever seen, both from a technical and geek side. Um, so we'll talk about that and and uh, look forward to seeing everybody else there. Any final thoughts for you there, Todd? No, I, I, I think whenever it comes back into the long litany of episodes and things that we've done together on this show, sharing this one with you yeah may be the most purposefully meaningful thing that we've done i truly just a monumental thing and i loved your observations you you did fantastic work on this my friend thank you i appreciate that your your views input are important and for the kind listener i hope they uh i hope they uh reach the goal which is getting everybody out there to see it so uh again for both of us the other kind radio uh we appreciate your listening and uh, we'll see you next week when we talk about apollo 11 and go watch it it's out uh i watched it on i think i got it from apple i watched it on uh, the apple itunes thing check it out we are the other kind radio All right. How long was that? Other than the internet.